think it is. Good. Well, it's um, lovely to be here with you this evening. It's a real joy uh, to uh, visit you again. Um, I think it's uh, getting on towards a couple of years since um, I last came and, and preached here. We had the joy of visiting you on a Sunday morning uh, just a couple of months ago. So uh, some of you, if you've got good memories, may remember seeing Helen and me and the children uh, back then. But it's lovely to be here, and particularly uh, because um, uh, our churches are able to enjoy a sense of being uh, partners together in the gospel. Uh, two churches that very much believe the same glorious truths about the Lord Jesus uh, and just 20 minutes uh, down the road from each other. And it's been a joy for me in the last few years to get to know Dovan particularly, uh, and it's lovely to be with you all again uh, this evening. Well, um, uh, if you have a Bible, maybe you could turn with me to uh, Luke uh, chapter 8 uh, and the passage that was read for us just a few uh, minutes ago. Luke chapter 8, the first uh, 15 verses. And uh, these handouts, you might have had one of these handouts as you were coming in. I was conscious there's a few little points and sub-points. It might help you follow things uh, to have that in front of you. So if that's helpful, then do use that. But as we begin, let's pray again and ask God to help us as we come to his word. Loving Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that the words of the scripture, the words of the Bible, are the words your Holy Spirit says to us today. And we pray, please, that as we think about this section of your words, please may your Holy Spirit speak to each one of us through it. Please give us ears to hear it. Please give us hearts to understand it. And please may we not only be hearers of your word, but also doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, let's uh, take ourselves back in our minds uh, to uh, first century uh, Judea. Uh, the news had been spreading uh, like wildfire. Uh, a rabbi, his teaching was absolutely electric. Uh, his miracles leaving people stunned. They'd never seen anything like it. Uh, the deaf hear, the blind see. And they were whispering it perhaps quietly. But the rumour was going round, could this man possibly be the Messiah? Could he be the Christ, the King that had been promised? And so the crowds are out in their droves. Uh, men are bringing their wives, uh, uh, parents are bringing their children. Young people are bringing their mates along, all to hear Jesus. Verse 4 in our passage tells us, a large crowd were gathering, people from town after town, to hear Jesus. Now, some of them perhaps were hoping to see a great miracle that they could go home amazed about. Uh, some of them were hoping perhaps for the start of a messianic revolution that would overthrow the, the hated Romans uh, from ruling. Uh, some of them may have been hoping for some great inspirational teaching. Jesus opens his mouth. The hubbub dies down. All the eyes are fixed on Jesus. And wait for it. Tells them a story about a farmer. Simple, everyday story about a farmer sowing some seed, a scene that they see all the time, every day, around them. Uh, some of the seed in the story uh, falls on the path or on the rocky soil or among thorns and proves fruitless. Uh, other seed uh, falls on the good soil and bears lots of fruits. Well, 
after all the hype, it's pretty mundane, isn't it? They might be thinking, is that it? Do we just go home now, Jesus? Did we come all this way just to hear a pretty ordinary story about a farmer? Why does Jesus do this? See, he's got a golden opportunity, hasn't he? Are all these people ready to hang on his every word? He could tell them about who he is and what he's come to do. He could tell them that he's come to die on the cross. He could offer them the forgiveness of their sins if they trust in him. Why instead does he tell them a story about a farmer? What's Jesus doing? Well, the disciples are certainly confused by this. At verse 9, they come and ask him, what does this parable mean, Jesus? And Jesus answers by explaining why it is he's told this story. Uh, He tells them the shocking reason for his parables. And that's the first thing we want to see, the first heading on the handout, the shocking reason for Jesus' parables. I wonder if someone was to ask you, why did Jesus speak in parables? I wonder what answer you would give uh, to that. See, perhaps we think that parables are our stories to make rather abstract truths a bit more accessible, uh, to make Jesus' teaching easier for ordinary people to understand. Well, here's the shock. Jesus uses parables not to make uh, things easier to understand, but rather to make them harder. Have a look at verse 10, if you have a Bible there. Luke 8, verse 10. Uh, He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, uh, but to others I speak in parables. Why? So that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Jesus is quoting there from the Old Testament, uh, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And in that chapter, uh, God was commissioning Isaiah uh, to preach to the people. Uh, But Isaiah's message is to be one of judgment, uh, a message that the people will not understand uh, because of the spiritual blindness uh, and the hardness of their hearts. Uh, By quoting that verse, Jesus is saying uh, that the people in his day are like those in Isaiah's day. They've closed their minds against God's message. And so he speaks in judgment against them. Uh, He speaks in parables not to help them understand, but quite the opposite, so that they won't understand. It's a bit of a shock, isn't it? The end of verse 8 helps us to see a bit of what's going on. You see, after telling the parable, Jesus calls out, uh, the one who has ears to hear, let them hear. Uh, And uh, it's an appeal to the listening crowds. You see, he wants them uh, to hear uh, what he's saying. He wants them to grasp it. Which means that judgment is not Jesus' only purpose. The parable does also have a more positive purpose for those who want to hear it. So what is the shocking purpose of Jesus' parables? Well, it's to divide people. It's to filter people into two groups. Those who have ears to hear and those who don't. It would be a bit like if I was to stand up this evening to speak. And if I was to give the whole talk in French, 
I assure you there's, there's no danger uh, of that happening. Almost all the French that I learned at school uh, has gone uh, long since from my mind. But if I was to preach uh, in French, it would filter you all uh, into two groups. Uh, the first group would be those of you who do have some French uh, and who could perhaps pick up the gist of what the talk was about. Uh, but those who don't know French would have absolutely no idea what I was talking about, unless, of course, you came to me afterwards and asked me to explain it to you uh, in English. The sermon would filter out uh, those who don't speak French from those who do. Well, Jesus uses parables to filter people, not based, of course, on their linguistic skills, but based on their hearts. Uh, those who had come uh, to Jesus looking for a great miracle worker or looking for a Roman rule-destroying revolutionary, they went home that night disappointed. They'd got nothing but a mundane story about a farmer. But those who had soft hearts, those who really wanted to hear Jesus' message, they came to Jesus and asked him for more. I take it that any of the crowds could have come to Jesus. Any of them could have asked him uh, to explain, but in fact, it was just the disciples who did come to him and ask him to explain. At uh, verse 9, they ask him what, is, what it is the parable means. Uh, they want to understand Jesus' message. And so Jesus explains it to them. That's why Jesus tells the disciples, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. What does Jesus mean by, by secrets? Well, he means things that no one can understand unless God reveals it to them. Uh, for those who ask, Jesus will reveal those secrets. But those with hard hearts don't ask. And so they don't understand the meaning. And they think Jesus has just given them a lesson about agriculture. Jesus' parables are a filter. At the same time, they reveal truth to some while concealing the truth from others. At the same parable, you see, has different effects on different people. And actually, that's not just true of the parables. It's true of any passage in the whole Bible. Uh, whenever we read God's word, the Bible, whenever we hear God's word preached, Jesus is filtering us into those same two groups. Some of us have soft hearts. Uh, we want to learn from Jesus, and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Bible. Others of us have hard hearts, and the Bible does us no good at all. Uh, right now, in this room, Jesus is filtering us into those same two groups. And each one of us will be in one group or the other group. That is the shocking reason for Jesus' parables. Uh, and, and this is also the point of this particular parable. Uh, the parable that's often known as the parable of the sower. It's a parable all about how God's word filters us into different groups. And we often call it the parable of the sower, but really a better name for it would be the parable of the soils. Uh, because uh, the real issue, the real focus is on these four different types of soil. And Jesus begins to explain the parable with the three bad soils. The three bad soils. So Jesus is describing this farmer who goes out into his fields with his big bag of grain uh, hanging over his shoulder. And from the bag, he would toss the seed all around 
uh, wherever he goes. And Jesus tells us that the seed in the story represents the word of God, uh, the Bible. This is how God's kingdom grows, uh, through people hearing the word of God. And we need to notice it's the same seed on each soil. Uh, It's the same word that goes out to all the different types of people. See, perhaps if if we had been writing the parable, we might have reversed that. We might have had it be the same soil with four different sowing methods. Uh, So uh, the first evangelist sowed the seed one way, and it had absolutely no effect. Uh, The second evangelist sowed the seed, uh, the word, a different way, but that too failed. And then the third evangelist uh, tried yet another method, but that too uh, had absolutely no effect. But then the fourth one came along, and he'd done his market research, and uh, he was hotter on all the cultural awareness, uh, and he had a more dynamic style. And then the people who'd ignored the first three uh, all suddenly came flocking to Jesus. That's how we might have written it, but... No, Jesus is clear. Success or failure depends not on the word, not on the sower, but on the soil. In other words, it depends on the hearts of those who are listening. And that means uh, for us, uh, Sunday by Sunday, next Sunday, uh, when Dovin's back and preaching, uh, each week we can't use uh, the excuse that we didn't think the sermon was good enough. Uh, Provided God's word is being faithfully preached, it's not about us judging uh, how good or how bad the sermon was. Rather, it is God's word that judges our hearts. The first type of soil is the path. And the path represents the word being snatched away. The word being snatched away. As the farmer sows the seed, some of it uh, falls on the path. And, of course, people walk along the path, and so it gets trampled down uh, very quickly uh, and then gets eaten by birds. And Jesus explains this is like people who hear God's word, but it just makes no impression on them. Uh, Their heart is hard, so they don't really engage with it. In fact, it just goes in in one ear uh, and out the other. But there could be all sorts of reasons why that might happen. Uh, Maybe uh, it's intellectual pride. Surely he doesn't expect me to believe that, does he? Or perhaps it's that the person loves their sin too much to give it up. Is he really telling me I've got to stop doing that? No way. It could be self-righteousness, pride. You're calling me a sinner? I'm not listening to any of this might be distraction. My eyes are sleepy. My mind's on what I've got to do tomorrow morning. Or very often, problem is indifference. Oh, it's all very lovely if you believe that, but it's not for me. Whatever the specifics, this person might think they're being very clever and sophisticated. They're above all this talk of God, perhaps. But Jesus tells us, actually, Something more sinister is going on. Uh, Jesus tells us the devil is at work to take that word from their hearts so they won't believe it. First type of soil, it explains, doesn't it, why there, there are some people who hear the gospel again and again and again and again, 
but it never seems to make any impression on them. See, the problem's not with the word itself. The problem's not with the way it's presented. The problem is in their hearts. It might be that some of us here this evening know that we are like at that path. If that's you, can I urge you, please don't carry on in that direction. When you hear the Bible, God, the living God who made you, is addressing you personally. Through the pages of Scripture, he offers you salvation. He offers you eternal life. How terrible it would be if any of us was to dismiss the words of the living God. Don't let your heart be hardened to his word. Instead, cry out to God. Ask him to give you understanding. And he will delight to answer that prayer. Then there's the second type of soil. And that's the rocky ground. And this one points us to, to those uh, who receive the word with no root. They receive the word, but with no root. Now, we might be thinking in the analogy of the farmer, why would he bother sowing seed on the rocky ground? That seems a bit of a waste. But it's not rock that you can see. It would be rock just under the surface. So there's a thin layer of soil on top of it, meaning that plants can begin to grow a little bit. And to begin with, of course, therefore, the plant might start to look healthy. But because of the rock uh, just underneath, there's precious little water. And so as the uh, heat of the Middle Eastern sun beats down on it, uh, the plant is undernourished, uh, and it withers, and eventually it dies. And Jesus tells us this is representing the person who hears the word, and initially they receive it with great joy. Uh, perhaps they make a profession of faith, and they say, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, perhaps they get baptized. They might seem to be full of passion uh, for Jesus. But in reality, it's merely an emotional response that doesn't have any roots. Uh, like uh, the thin layer of soil on the rock, it's a response that is shallow and superficial. Uh, now, the problem is not with the emotional response. Uh, the response of joy, uh, the love that Jesus has shown us in giving his life for us on the cross should lead us to an emotional response of joy. Uh, no, the problem is that for this person, uh, the jo that, that joy is not rooted in a firm grasp of the truths of Christ's saving work, Jesus' death and his resurrection. See, the person does believe in a sense that they've got a kind of faith, but it's a faith that's based more on how I feel uh, rather than on Jesus and what Jesus has done. Uh, it's based on my feelings now rather than trust in God's promises of glory to come. And so as soon as a time of testing comes, uh, Jesus says, uh, this person falls away. Uh, because their roots are so shallow, their faith cannot withstand times of trouble. And maybe they say, I thought becoming a Christian was going to make my life easier. I thought my life was going to be better, but actually it's just got harder and harder. I don't think this Christian thing's for me after all. And so they drift away, perhaps suddenly, perhaps gradually over time. Or perhaps it starts with stopping reading their Bible at home, and then they stop coming out on Sunday evenings or midweek meetings. And then they start missing Sunday morning services as well. And eventually they're no longer involved in church life at all. 
it's a stark warning, isn't it, for all of us, that it's, it's possible to look like a Christian. It's possible to have something that looks like real faith. And yet, uh, we might even have made a decision for Christ at some point in our lives, but we've never really grasped the gospel. We've never really repented of our sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus. Uh, my wife, Helen, who's here this evening, remembers uh, very well uh, being in the church youth group uh, back in her teenage years and had a group of friends uh, who all encouraged each other uh, to live for Jesus. They all seemed like Christians at that time. But now, many of them uh, seem as if they've lost their way and fallen away from Jesus. Uh, they stopped going to church some years ago. Uh, now, many of them are in long-term relationships uh, with non-Christians. Uh, they don't go to church. There's no sign of really any interest in Christ, even though they once looked so keen. Please do not let that happen to you. There is no one else but Jesus who has the words of eternal life. Where else will we go if we leave him? Uh, rather, as you hear God's word, ask God to help you to understand it. Let God's message of grace take deep root in your heart. Drink deeply of its nourishment. The gospel which God's word proclaims to us is the sustenance that we need to keep going in the Christian life all the way. Then we come to the third uh, type of soil, and this is the seed that falls among the thorns. Uh, which grew up with it, choked the plants. Uh, the word choked by thorns. Uh, the weeds that Jesus is talking about, they could grow to some, apparently to some uh, six feet tall. Uh, they would take so much nourishment uh, out of the soil that there'd be no chance uh, of anything else really growing properly uh, around it. I'm, I'm not any type of gardening expert, in fact, quite the opposite. But if you try and plant flowers or um, uh, vegetables in, in a place that's absolutely full of weeds. Well, at best, you're going to get some pretty stunted plants. You're not going to get beautiful flowers. You're not going to get uh, delicious carrots uh, that you can eat. And Jesus explains, this is the person who hears God's word, but they're preoccupied. They're, they're distracted uh, by other things. And those other things take priority in their lives over God's word. It might be that they call themselves Christians. It might be that they carry on going to church, but Jesus becomes less and less significant to them. For some, those thorns might be worries. Perhaps we spend so much time worrying about our health, worrying about our marriage, or perhaps our longing to be married, worries about the stress of our work, that Jesus just gets squeezed more and more to the periphery of our lives. Uh, for other people, it's riches uh, and pleasures, things that are good in themselves, things like uh, hobbies, uh, home improvements, uh, perhaps uh, holidays, things that are good in their place, but they can all too easily push Jesus uh, out of the center of our hearts. Well, so far, we've seen three uh, types of soil. But ultimately, really, those three types belong together. Remember what the purpose is of, of Jesus' parables. It's to filter us not into four groups, but rather into two groups. Those with ears to hear and those without. 
And think about the, the analogy of the, of the farmer. In agriculture, the point of sowing seed is to produce plants that will bear fruit. That's why the farmer sows the seed. None of those first three soils do that. None of them produce fruit. And that means that for us this evening, if we've been gripped by the good news of Jesus, then we won't be satisfied with being soils one, two, or three. We won't be satisfied with a decision for Jesus that we made at some point many years before. We won't be satisfied to let Jesus be pushed to the sidelines of our lives. Yes, certainly we will battle against these temptations. I do, all of us do. But if our hearts have been transformed by Jesus' love for us, then we will want to be the good and fruitful soil uh, for his words. And so we come then uh, to the one good soil. Uh, This is the uh, response that Jesus is calling all of us to make uh, to his word this evening. He calls us to be those with a noble and good heart, verse 15. One good soil. So what does this look like then, to be the one good soil? Well, firstly, these are people who retain the word. Uh, The word retained. Unlike the uh, second soil, uh, this is a soil with good roots. Uh, Unlike the the rocky ground, uh, the seed can grow up in a strong plant, uh, well-nourished, not susceptible to wiltering in the midday sun, uh, because its roots are taking in plenty of moisture. And nor is it like the third soil, surrounded by uh, thorns that are stunting its growth. And therefore, this is a person who not only hears the word, but retains it and perseveres, verse 15. It doesn't go in one ear and out the other. It's not pushed out by life's troubles or life's pleasures, because its roots are strong. So how do we get those deep roots? How do we get there? We get those roots by reading the Bible regularly, by hearing the Bible preached regularly, week in, week out. And as we hear it, not sitting over it in judgment, but rather sitting under it, asking God to teach us, asking God to change our hearts, asking God to show us uh, the depths of our sin and the areas we need to change, asking him to show us the Lord Jesus in the scriptures, so that we might find refuge in him. In particular, deep roots come from understanding and being gripped by uh, the gospel message, uh, drinking deeply of the love that Jesus showed us on that cross, Uh, getting our nourishment from the Son of God, who loved us so much that he suffered uh, in order to rescue us feeding on his finished work on that tree, clinging to what he did on Calvary as our only hope of heaven, marveling at his self-giving sacrifice that assures us of salvation, trusting his promise that if Christ has died for us, truly now nothing can separate us, nothing can separate us from his love. That fourth soil is the person who builds up those roots and retains the word, and then they go on to bear fruit. The word retained and the word bearing fruit. 
What does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he uh, says that we will produce a crop? Well, above all, the point is the word makes a real difference in our lives. See, it's not like the first soil where the word makes no difference at all. It's not like the second soil where the difference is only superficial and temporary. It's not like the third soil where we live in practice just like uh, those in the world around us, running after riches and pleasures. Instead, it's a life that's been transformed by receiving God's lavish grace. Among other things, God's grace at work in our hearts, what kind of fruit will it produce? Well, it'll produce a new desire in our hearts that we want to live for Jesus. Yes, we, we often fail, but we really want to live for him. It'll produce a, a longing to grow in our love for Jesus. So often we feel our love is lukewarm, but we really want to love him more. It'll produce increasingly a hatred of the sin in our hearts. A new battle against sin, fighting against sin day by day, whereas before we were Christians, we just sinned and didn't think twice. It'll produce a new desire to pray for people who don't know Jesus and seek to reach people uh, for Jesus. Yeah, we find that really hard, but we'll want to do it and we'll want to work on it. Uh, the fruit of a desire to use our gifts for Jesus. Uh, use our gifts to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. None of us are going to be perfect in any of those areas. Not until we get to heaven. But if there's something of those desires in your heart, of wanting to live that way, be encouraged by that. That fruit, those desires, are evidence of good soil in your heart. And as we uh, finish, I think Luke gives us a concrete example uh, of uh, the good soil, of this fruit that it produces just before the parable. Verses uh, 2 and 3, uh, Jesus tells us that there was a number of women uh, who were with Jesus, women who'd been cured uh, of evil spirits and diseases. And they include Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, uh, and Susanna. But at verse 3, these women are helping to support Jesus, helping to support his disciples uh, out of uh, their own means. See, Jesus and the disciples themselves, uh, they had next to nothing. They had very little uh, to, buy, to buy food with, very little to live on. And these women were serving Jesus by contributing financial uh, material resources uh, so that more people could hear the gospel of God's grace. Uh, the women are a great picture, aren't they, of good soil. See, unlike the thorny soil, uh, which uh, allows money to draw people away from Jesus, these ladies are using their money to serve Jesus. For us too, I think how we uh, use our money, how we approach our finances, that can be a good indicator of what our hearts are like. And what was it that led the women to live these fruitful lives? Well, surely it was their response of love to the grace that they had received from Jesus. Uh, they respond in love. They're, they're like the, the sinful women, woman at the end of the previous chapter, Luke chapter 7. Uh, it's a great passage to have a look at at home if you want to later. Uh, in that chapter, there's this woman who's uh, been forgiven so much by Jesus, and her response is to overflow with love for him. And so too, these women at the start of eight, chapter 8, they have received so much from Jesus, and now they long to serve him. 
May it be so for you and me as well. As we've been reading and thinking about this Bible passage this evening, God has been sowing his word in each one of our hearts. Will you let his word take root and bear fruit in your heart? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's uh, stand and sing together the uh, closing hymn, uh, which is uh, Father uh, of Mercies.